I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. May the 4th be with you, Kiki. May the 4th be with you, Tuesday. Finally, finally, after three years, finally finish the original Star Wars trilogy with Return of the Jedi. Of course, originally called Revenge of the Jedi, uh, changed just not too long before release because... Uh, Lucas decided that Jedi do not take revenge. Yeah, that's a dark side thing. Revenge of the Jedi. Coming next summer to a theater in your galaxy. There was a teaser poster that they had commissioned from Drew Struzan. That is really cool. Uh, you can look up the, the original artwork online. Some of those went out to the public market but not very many of them and uh lucas had them pulled uh before too too many went out a lot of other changes happened in uh, leading up to the original release not only the title but luke's lightsaber if you watch the original trailer for return of, of the jedi luke has his blue lightsaber that we've seen previously in the final film, it is green. And there's a simple explanation for that, simply because the blue of the lightsaber didn't really come through in the desert that they were using for tattooing. So they made the decision to make it green so it would be visible while they were filming those tattooing scenes. I like the the idea, and now it's become such a quintessential idea in the Star Wars universe that, you know, they put in the line about the construction of the the new lightsaber, which may have been in there before, even even when it was still blue. There is a deleted scene. There's a deleted scene that takes place at the beginning of the film where you see Luke finish the construction of the new lightsaber and put it inside R2. But, uh, that, you know, it's a good thing that was removed because you don't get that shock of the lightsaber popping out of uh, R2 when Luke calls for it. Yeah, but the the idea of choosing the color of your lightsaber and the kyber crystals and the construction of your lightsaber and that being the final step in your Jedi training is such an integral part now in the idea of Star Wars. Um, So that one little line of Vader's about the, you know, I've seen you've constructed a new lightsaber, your training is complete. You know, it's such a weird little throwaway line in the final film and has spawned such a massive thing just because of a, production need somewhere out there exists a at least some sort of print of the movie with the blue lightsaber but you know we'll never see it 
Who knows? As many versions as this film now exist. Speaking of... So we both watched this movie on Disney+, and that is the special edition. Oh. Yeah. Which had a lot of changes. Some lines were changed. I mean, they brought James Earl Jones back in to do a few extra lines for this version. No. Uh, They filmed a bunch of new scenes. They gave Ewoks blinking eyes for some reason. The entire ending is extended to see all of the planets we see in the prequel trilogy. But worst of all, they robbed us of the Ewok celebration. They robbed us of two songs in this one. Yeah, is, they did. They In the original film, we had Lab T-Neck in Jabba's Palace. <laughs> And yub nub during the celebration. And those were gone because the cha- the scenes were changed. The original songs no longer fit that space, so they put new songs. In its in its place, we get Jedi Rocks. And victory celebration. Both of them suck in comparison. Just gonna say it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get to it when we get into the the main plot here, but yeah, definitely a downgrade. They're still John Williams songs, so they're not awful. But in comparison to what was there before, especially with Yub Nub, because that's what we called it for years, at least for people our age, those of us who grew up watching Return of the Jedi, that was our favorite part of the movie. The original versions of the films, yeah. Yeah. And it's such a tonal shift that those songs are gone and the replacements, it's just the tone in those scenes are now completely different. Yeah, it's not really a celebration anymore. It's like a okay, stuff is stuff is over. Like the original Yub Nub was more of a celebration. Hey, we defeated the dark, we defeated Palpatine, we defeated the Empire. It's an Ewok yeah. dance party. Yeah, and now it's more of a oh, it's finally over. We can relax now. Until Everybody you- sit down, grab a cup of tea, breathe and wait for the first order to rise. Yeah, I mean, we we didn't really know that's what we were waiting for because we wouldn't get that for years. It's no longer celebrate the life, celebrate the love. You know, it's it's, it's not that anymore. It puts and, you to sleep more than makes you be like, this is the culmination of years of your life invested in this trilogy. Yeah, and of course, the thing that did upset a lot of people when these special editions come out. The replacement of Sebastian Shaw with Hayden Christensen at the end. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, during that end, we get Sebastian Shaw as unmasked Anakin Skywalker, and we get him in the final shot with Yoda and, and uh, Alec Guinness. Yeah, we get, we get 
We get young Anakin. We get Clone Wars Anakin. We get Revenge of the Sith Anakin. If you're gonna go all out, then why not do that to Alec Guinness as well? I mean, yeah. not that I'm saying they should. Goodness, no. Luke only knew his father. Like, he only knew Anakin in that brief unmasked moment. Mm-hmm. He didn't know what Anakin Skywalker, I guess, looked like, maybe. I don't know. Maybe he had hollow recordings of his father, but we we don't have context for that. Does Luke know what Anakin Skywalker looked like? Considering how much Uncle Owen wanted to keep any knowledge of Anakin away from Luke, I don't think he did. But we there's probably a book or a comic out there somewhere with some context. We might find out in the Obi-Wan show. Who knows? It it raises more questions than it answers, George, is all we're saying. Um, and also, considering what we learned in the later films, Leia's line about her mother no longer makes sense. Yeah, that that too. Yeah. Some sometimes I, I think I think the thing, and we've said it before about the special editions. Artists need to learn that you do the best with what you have at the time you create a piece of art. And it's probably better that you just let things lie. I mean, you can remaster things, I guess, and you can... You know, like, if you want to do, like, a 4K restoration or something, you know, as technology improves or whatever. But maybe don't don't go back and be like, I'm going to refilm the entire thing all over again. Don't, don't do that. And make it a four-hour black and white piece. <laughs> yeah, just, just don't. Just let it, let it be. Let it exist as it existed, you know. You, you want to re- retouch the image just slightly or move it to a different medium to help preserve it longer for future generations. Okay, I'm, I'm with you on that a, a little bit, just for preservation's sake. Yeah, at some point, you're just going to have to let it go and let the movie live on its own. Uh, George Lucas was one of the, the, the front runners against the colorization of black and white movies that Ted Turner was really pushing back in the 80s and for him to flip-flop on that and going back to no i'm going to change my movies because you know i want to put this scene in there this is what i wanted to do originally and well we're going to do the prequels now i need the actor that played anakin in the prequels to be in the end of this film and so on and so forth you know it's always fine to change your mind with updated information i'm i'm not really sure the the information changed that much i think more his his ego got a bit more fragile he got new toys and he wanted to play yeah them. he got new toys and he wanted to play with them so we've we've already been through you know every everybody who's been in this um mark hamill talk- skywalker harrison ford han solo carrie fisher princess leia billy d williams lando carissian frank god is yoda james Earl jones is the voice of darth vader We've been through them all. Uh, our new players are people we've already talked about, such as Warwick Davis. We talked about him when we talked about Willow. And yeah. this, is his, this is his first uh, acting role, if I believe. Or at least it's his first, first. Yeah, this this was his, his first acting role. He had 
never been in anything and uh he went to an open casting call they were looking for people with dwarfism to be in the film because they needed so many people to be Ewoks and Kenny Baker was supposed to be Wicket but Kenny Baker was so ill on the day they needed to shoot the to start shooting uh Wicket's scenes uh he cut food poisoning uh for several days and those just happened to be the days that they needed to start filming with Wicket. And uh, Warwick was there, and he was like 12 at the time, I think. But he happened to be, uh, I, I think, a similar size to Baker at the time and could fit the suit. And so they they chose him. He was just there to, to play an Ewok. And they were like, well, <laughs> you're here and you're, you kind of fit the parameters we need. So you're you're the guy now. He would reprise the role for the two Ewok movies, Caravan of Courage and Battle of Endor. And of course, he would work with Lucas again on Willow. Yeah, and then he would... Uh show up in I mean we talked about him when we did Last Jedi. Yeah. Um cuz he worked in Last Jedi as well and uh a lot lots of other I mean he he keeps showing up in Luke's film projects. And um, uh, in filming this movie he kind of filmed his own behind the scenes movie Return of the Ewok. It's never been officially released. But yeah, he's he's done behind the scenes things and he's a producer and you know all all that kind of stuff. Um so yeah, really really talented guy, but this this is where he got his start and it was an excellent uh stroke of luck. Uh I, I mean, not for Kenny Baker who was violently ill that day, but it it ended up being uh, a really good stroke of luck for Warwick Davis getting that role. So, let's just kind of move into finishing off the story of this particular trilogy. I want to talk about this part now that we're in, in the plot part of, 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 the, of the episode here. Yeah, uh, as I said, Lucas really saw what was going on with CG and, and the power, how green screen technology had evolved and he had new toys and he wanted to play with them. Enter Jedi Rocks. That big song and dance number with CGI aliens singing this rock song. And the reason it's such a tonal shift from the original Lopte Neck in that the original scene focused more on Ula the dancer, who is, you know, dancing for Jabba. And then that scene focused more on the cruelty of Jabba, that if you if you anger him in the slightest, he will end you. Like he messed, you know, she, she angers Jabba and he just drops her into the Rancor pit. Jedi it, rocks in comparison to that. Well, it does show that part. It's more focused on here's what we done with CG. Here's a close up of an alien 
singing very loudly and smooching kisses at the viewer while this rock song plays. And boy, did they use that bit in all of the commercials for this part of the special edition. That little... You know, that little It's a little fine bit, song. It's fine. It's serviceable. But that little snippet of it was every third commercial leading up to this, you know, being released. Like, that was the most important thing that George Lucas had to advertise for this movie. In terms of new, different changes. Yeah. Even if, even if you watch, like, any of the behind-the-scenes specials or behind-the-scenes interviews they, they did with George, he really goes over this scene and how the original Snice Noodles puppet was very stiff and didn't really do much. And that's why they kind of not focused on that character and he's mostly in the background. But with CG, we can take this character and have her move and have her really belt it out and have this be the big musical number I always wanted. That was like the most important thing to Lucas in making this special edition plus advertising this special edition. That that just boggles my mind and how he thought that the that we need to have a musical number in the middle of the Star Wars movie, which, as I said changes the tone of the scene you're right that when it's focusing on ula that we're made to be uncomfortable at the cruelty at the the weirdness and alienness of it all before leia enters with her boosh disguise uh and we get Back to like, oh, Lando's here, Chewie's here, Leia's here. We've already seen that Luke has some sort of plan. All right, we're we're gonna rescue Han. Okay, we 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 know what we know what this is about. But you have to understand that Jabba is a formidable opponent because in the original trilogy, we had not seen Jabba until this point. Yeah, if you watch the original films like we did growing up, this is the first time we've ever seen Jabba. We've heard him mentioned, but we've never seen him. Yeah, we know Han is uh, scared crapless of Jabba. We kind of know his power third hand. But this is the first time we've seen what he can do up close. And that was the point of that scene is here is this beautiful dancing girl who as far as we can tell did nothing wrong all she did was pull away he's pulling her towards him and she's pulling away uh jabba cannot take no for an answer so she ends him or she he ends her yeah and it's like and now she's monster chow you are right that it undercuts the the severity of the the situation. And the thing is, is that this is a really well-directed movie. We've talked before in our discussions of other Lucas-produced or directed films and just in general about Star Wars that Lucas is very good at 
certain things and sometimes being given like 100% control of a thing is, is not what he should be allowed to do. Um, this one was directed by uh, Richard Marquand. And I think that the direction of the film is good. And the the screenplay for this one was a, a co-writing thing. Um, so Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan, who had done uh, Empire. I'm pretty sure well. Carrie Fisher was involved with that somewhere, but uncredited. Yeah, Carrie Fisher probably did some some punch up for this as well. Um, it's, it's a good mix um, because Lucas is there to do what he does best in the original cut of the film. Okay, Lucas is there to do what he does best, and then we have a good influence in in the writing. I think uh, the Lawrence Kasdan scripts are really good empire and jedi are so good in their scripting and i think marquin did a excellent job with the directing so i think that this is a good balance because it allowed lucas to focus originally um in the initial theatrical cut it allowed him to focus on the world building, which is what he was always best at in Star Wars. Working on the the characters and the world building and where the aliens come from and how the planets are, are set up and how the characters interact. And that is his strength and always has been. And it works beautifully when he is left to allow his imagination to run free on that and then other people are able to whittle it down and shape it and find the the gems in that and polish them appropriately he's good when he has an editor when he has someone to pull him back. When left to his own devices, we get the prequels. Yeah, and 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 this is still when he was working with Marsha, who was his wife uh, for a while, Marsha Lucas. And I don't know if they were still married at this point. You know, she was in charge of editing uh, for Martin Scorsese. You know, she did, like, Taxi Driver and stuff. But she also did... George's early films. She did uh, THX and she did American Graffiti. She did uh, all three of the original Star Wars trilogy in the theatrical cuts. So, I mean, there there is the old adage that films are made in the editing room. And if that is the case, then Marsha Lucas is the woman who made Star Wars. I love that we can break that down. That, and and when it comes to the editing room, it was Marsha Lucas. When it comes to the script room, it was Carrie Fisher. Yeah, I mean, so you know, 
there there's an argument to be made that you know women made star wars so <laughs> you can you can argue if you want but uh. uh i've mentioned this in our previous star wars episodes return of the jedi was the first star wars movie i ever saw so i never got that whole shock of vader being luke's father i already knew so yeah, coming into the third movie of a trilogy at shoot, what would this be? Eighty-three at what? Three, four years old watching this movie? Yeah, I was confused. <laughs> what what about the shock of her being his sister? I had no uh frame of reference because I can I'm going into it's you know, it's kinda like those people who who you see who've never seen a Marvel movie, yet they the first movie they're seeing is Endgame. And they're completely lost because they have no frame of reference. It's, it's, it's just like, why are a bunch of people suddenly appearing? You know, like... <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> Did we again, just I'm... magic a bunch of people into existence? So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't see the original complete trilogy until uh, sometime later. But going into this movie... As a, you know, four, five, three, four, five-year-old kid watching this on cable for the first time, I mean, I knew that Star Wars was a thing, but I going into this one, I really had no frame of reference to anything that was going on. I'm trying to figure out when I would have seen Star Wars for the first time. I grew up watching Star Trek, so I was already into space stuff, because that was on TV. But I was a bit older when I watched Star Wars for the first time. But I I know that I watched them in the correct order. Um, and it would have been, maybe I was probably about 10 years old. And I think I either borrowed the videotapes from a friend or we rented them. Maybe. Um, so it would have been at the beginning of my, okay, we can watch movies now phase. And I think I would have started to hear kids at school talk about it or play Jedi in the playground at school. Um, and I would have been trying to figure that out or seeing it would have probably been trying to figure out like you know Kermit in Muppet Babies I think and him playing uh Luke Skywalker Luke Skywalker in in the Muppet Babies I think and and other references like that Gee, I sure would like to grow up and be a Jedi frog like my father. If only a beautiful princess would send for me so I could leave home and save the universe. I think that that was probably what initially... And I think it was just already such a part of the culture that you know that... That Vader is Luke's father. That I think I just kind of already knew. So I think the shock probably didn't get to me. 
but I think that 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 understanding that Luke and Leia were brother and sister maybe wasn't as much in the culture to me. So I think that that was probably the shock to me as a kid. Mm. Because I think that just like, you know, Luke, I am your father thing. I think that was really the the thing that just was everywhere. But I think the Luke and Leia being sisters, brother and sister thing, probably wasn't as big. Because if you saw pictures from Star Wars, you always saw the like death star swing across the gap or something or pictures of Luke holding Leia around the waist or whatever in the kissing the the original kiss or the original posters yeah the original poster handle had you know we talked about you know had Luke with most of his chest out of his little robe and Leia laying on him. Well, I mean, at that time, nobody knew that was the yeah. end game. Luke had no, including... Luke, Lucas had no plan of that yet. But yeah, including point stands. So, so I think that that was the like oh moment for me as a kid. This really started that you know as we kind of talked about it in the last one too the 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 awesome and coolness that everyone thought of Boba Fett. And then, you know, you go to this movie and he's knocked out by Han, by Han Solo in the back. And he just completely owned in that moment falling into in, into the Sarlacc. And, of course, we would never find out what happened for, like, almost 40 years later. Unless you read the novels. They Most of that got contradicted, though, in the in, in book. Well, no, I mean, you were saying that we were waiting to find out, and I was like, well, no, most of us weren't, because, I mean, not most of us, most people did not read the novels. I'm not trying to say they did. Those that read the novels Some of us, (laughs) some of us were very into the novels. But, um, actually, what, what did come up, I mean, spoilers for Book of Boba Fett, what they did in Book of Boba Fett was not super entirely horrifically that far away and made slightly more sense than what was in the book. Don't at me, it made more sense. There was like a whole thing about him like telepathically communicating with the something and like. It was like basically the difference between him using the the, the jetpack and him using the flamethrower. But it it was it was not so hideously different that it really made that much of a difference to me personally. Um and you know what? I don't need him like telepathically communicating with other creatures in the Sarlacc's stomach to get out. It's fine. It's fine. What they did in Book of Fett was fine. I uh, I was always kind of annoyed by how Boba Fett got treated uh, in this. Even at the time I was like, that that could have been such a cool character. And that's how they treated him. Like, uh, as a you know, throwaway joke. 
And a lot of people agree with you. You know, they 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 read they made their fan fictions and their books that made Boba Fett into this badass. And he was so hyped up, and you know, for a guy that had four lines of dialogue and got taken out with a shot in the back. Yeah, until the cartoons, because I hear that they like made him cool in the cartoons or whatever. I mean, he's still a kid in 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 the Clone Wars cartoons. But. Yeah, I'm talking about, like, one of the other ones or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. I've been told he has, like, really cool stuff to do in one of the other cartoons. I don't know. When we were kids, if you liked Boba Fett, you liked Boba Fett for one or two reasons. He was cool-looking as a character design, and he had a cool toy. Or you had read the novels, and you liked what they did with him in the novels. That was it. You liked him on the basis of one of those two things, because he was not cool in the movies. He did nothing in the movies. He stood there, and then he died like a chump. You know who I really feel sorry for in that whole part? Han. Because there's Leia in this bikini, and he's blind throughout the entire portion of that. Yeah, can you imagine them telling Han Solo what was going on? (laughs) Leia wore what? (laughs) Yeah. Excuse me? (laughs) Can you imagine Chewbacca, like, being like, and there's Leia in a gold bikini looking all sexy, and Han's like, do what now? Oh, yeah. And then, like, like, Leia trying to tell him it never happened, like, no, Chewie's lying to you. That was never a thing. I never, and Lando being like, no, 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 it was totally a thing. Totally Luke had her hands it. on her and everything. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> um, and you know, um, that would be that that would be interesting. It it it's kind of interesting though because, you know, C- Carrie Fisher never really wanted to to be in that outfit. Yeah, she's 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 made that known. Um, she's even and... said when people people have complained about you know. Leia being objectified, she even says, you know, someone made Leia wear the the, the the bikini, she killed that person, and then she took it off. One of the things that she said in one of her really good uh, kind of one-woman show uh, shows that she did was that she said that she had been plagued for decades by men whose best and worst memories of their teenage years both involved her in a gold bikini it followed her around and apparently daisy ridley said that um she got two pieces of advice when she asked carrie fisher for advice on joining the star wars universe one was don't work your way through the casting crew (laughs) which i thought was good advice uh but the primary one was don't ever let them put you in a bikini so it is fascinating to me the legacy of that moment it's such a short part of the movie and for most of this movie leia is in combat gear Speaking of costumes, this is 
not the most iconic Luke Skywalker look, but this is definitely the upgraded Luke Skywalker look. It's the look that we kind of see now, like when we saw him appearing in the Mandalorian, the all black outfit. Yeah, when they do the uh, CGI Luke, this is definitely the Luke is a Jedi doing Jedi stuff. The, the all black yeah. out outfit that he's got, and he keeps it Even basically the up through the training of Kylo Ren, doesn't he? Yeah, even in the books that came out at the time, set after the original trilogy, he's still in that all-black outfit. If yeah, you but I mean, covers. even even in the new series, like when we see the, the flashbacks, I think he's still got it up until he takes on the students. Yeah, the, students, yeah, yeah. the, the apprentices uh, and Ben Solo and, and all. It it becomes his his iconic... I I am Jedi Luke Skywalker outfit. So you've got that kind of kid from Tatooine look that he has in the the first two movies, basically. It's, um, it's the boy becoming a man kind of thing. And and then you get that that black all black outfit look that he yeah. maintains for years, and then. When we see him as an old man, el el elder statesman, he's got the kind of he goes back to the sort of neutral colors and the the robes and uh, cloak, the hooded cloak. Yeah. And clearly, um, you know, as, as we have noted, the the skin on that robot arm has deteriorated. Yeah. So it's it's really great. Um. Han, I don't think, ever changed clothing for, like, 40 years of his life. <laughs> he adds a, 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 a he adds a jacket, a long jacket in, in, in combat colors for this one, but he doesn't wear that very long in this film. It's the back to the original, the, the vest and white shirt combo that he's had for the first, for all three films. Yeah. We we do get to uh, to dip out to Dagobah to say goodbye to Yoda. Yeah, where he drops that final bomb of Leia's your twin sister. Um, I want to make this one note here because we've talked about. I mean, we've always we talked about you know people wanting Luis to do all of the Marvel movies in his in his style. We've got a show on Disney Plus where it's Olaf retelling all of the classic Disney movies. Can we get a series where it's just C-3PO retelling every single Star Wars movie in the Ewok language? <laughs> I love how into it Leia is listening to this recap. She was freaking there when it happened. But Luke does not want to hear this because it's very triggering. Mm. Han is appalled by this retelling. Leia is loving story time with 3PO. <laughs> Leia is like <laughs> snuggling into Han. You can tell she wants to grab a blankie and a stuffy and just like. <laughs> She's in a whole village of stuffies. Pick one. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, Wicket has like snuggled up to Han's leg at this point. Everything. It's 
I love the part because he because we get to the part where three PO's talking about Han being frozen in carbonite, and uh, the fact that see that three PO is doing the sound effects too, like you do when you tell a story. Like he hears the sound of the carbonite machine, and he gets triggered. You know, it, it's triggering to him. And as this happens, you see Wicked kind of call up to him because he knows, you know, oh, this is a bad moment for you. Uh, I'm sorry that this bad thing happened to you, Mr. Tall Man. Yeah, it's like, I, but I I just, Leia has such an expression of like, oh, our adventures. Like, it's just such like, what is wrong with you, girl? <laughs> he likes story time. Yeah. The thing about this movie is that the Ewoks were not supposed to be in this movie originally. The original plan was to have this movie take place on Chewbacca's home planet of Kashyyyk, which we last seen in the holiday special. And they ran into the same problem here that they ran into for the holiday special in that all of those Wookiee costumes would have cost too much. Like, if in, in the holiday special, they cover this up by having all of the Wookiees in robes, so all you need are the heads and the hands. So, rather than make all of those Wookiee costumes, they decided, we're gonna make them smaller. And Lucas would also say that he wanted to make a Star Wars movie primarily aimed at children, and that was kind of the point of the Ewoks, to kind of appeal to children, specifically his children, who were very young at the time. There is a thing that, and it even became a, like, a joke in, I think it was How I Met Your Mother. If you want to know if a a girl is old enough to date, ask her what she thinks about Ewoks. Ultimately, Ewoks split Star Wars fandom into two camps. Those born before and those born after May 25th, 1973. The Ewok line. Because that was the divide. If you were slightly older, okay, if you were like in your preteens or teens when Return of the Jedi came out, what are these teddy bears doing in my Space Wizard movie? If you're our age, Ewoks were just always in Star Wars. We accept them as a part of Star Wars. We were the right age when the Ewoks came out. So for me, it's like I never questioned it, and I never wondered why anybody would. Well, you know, you got six-foot-tall teddy bears. Why not three-foot-tall teddy bears, you know? Mm-hmm. But there was the controversy at the time of, like, what are these adorable little teddy bears doing in my Space Wizard movie? Okay. And how can these adorable little teddy bears be taking on... These the Imperial Empire. Walkers. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. Yes, they're at first glance adorable little teddy bears. They give you the idea because the technology difference between the Empire and the Ewoks that there is also like an intelligence difference or, you know. But the Ewoks are doing fine. They are very quick to organize and by the time they come to rescue the party and the big battle begins they show up with air support with catapults 
with all sorts of pre-made traps and weapons of war. And granted, they are made out of forest materials and wood and, and you know, natural resources. But they are not quickly improvised weapons. This is a fully plotted out war strategy by a military that knows the terrain and knows what they're doing. George Lucas had said that, you know, he took this once again from the Vietnamese resistance. Once again, just because there's a difference in the type of technology you're using does not mean that there is a difference in the in intelligence level or the strategic level even now I, I, I will i will say the scene where the ewoks are throwing those two battering ram logs and crushes the imperial walker is still cool that is amazing the way that they use the um the logs to get underneath the legs of the walker and destabilize it and make it fall over but also also, they eat humans. Yeah, we've seen that. Let's uh, let's be real. We 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 see the 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 stormtrooper helmets at the end that they're used as drums, but we don't see bodies. And they were preparing to roast and eat Han and Luke. The only thing that stopped them from doing that was the. 3PO saying, please let them go, and then Luke using the force to levitate 3PO. I like the Ewoks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they are cute little teddy bears <laughs> that will eat a human. The big thing about this movie is that we get a second Death Star that's bigger than the old than the old Death Star. You know. But it's not fully constructed yet. But it is fully operational. Haha, <laughs> we worked on the important bit first, which was the death laser. <laughs> and I like how, like, the entire second half of this movie has three plots. We have the, you know, you have Leia and Han and Chewie and all of them on Endor with the Ewoks fighting off the, the Empire there. You have Lando leading the the, the fighters against the outer shell of the Death Star and the and the Imperial troops surrounding the Death Star. And of course you get Luke on the Death Star trying, desperately trying to turn his father back towards the light. The entire time he goes, I know there's good in you, father. I know I can turn you. I know you, you are, you know, there is good still in you. I can feel it. And Vader kind of comes like, no, there's no good in me. There's no conflict in me. You will bend the knee to the emperor and you will join us. Yeah, I've always wondered, other than vague feeling, what Luke was basing this plan on. Hope. Honestly, that's my thing. He was hoping that he was right about Vader. Because he just straight up gives himself up to the Empire, willingly puts himself on the Death Star. Not even sure this thing is going to work, but, you know. Sometimes hope's all you got, and that's all, I believe, that's all Luke had at that point. The thing is, is I like the fan theory, you know, because that is how the the thing progresses is, you know, Luke, 
I don't know if Luke actually gives in to the moment of rage. It's it's always been a debate of does Luke give in to his feelings of hatred or despair or anger at what's going on in the battle when he realizes that the space station is fully armed and operational or is it a plot to engage Vader in combat to see if if he will turn you know because mm. um, it is a bit ambiguous there the Emperor seems to think that he's feeling emotion from Luke. We had the conversation earlier in the film where Vader is saying, my son is down there. I can feel it. And Palpatine goes and says, that's funny. I don't feel a thing coming. I don't feel the presence of your son anywhere near yeah. here. So how do you feel it? And I don't. And it, yeah. could be the, it could be the connection of father and son or... Honestly, as I said before, maybe it is Vader hoping that his son is down there. Well, but, you know, the the Emperor seems says in, in that moment, you know, when when Luke grabs the, the lightsaber, you know, when he uses the force to bring the lightsaber to him, the Emperor is, is saying, good, I can feel the hate in you and, you know, give in and become my apprentice and that, that kind of thing. So. I don't know whether that's, you know, the Emperor playing it off. Like, yeah, I, I can totally feel the hate. Yeah, dude, that's, yeah, it's, hate, that's what I'm feeling. So you're saying that, that the Emperor is completely BSing Luke throughout this, throughout this entire thing? I don't know. We get so little, because Luke has been playing it so cool the entire uh, time. Like, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not feeling hate. And then suddenly he turns around and grabs the lightsaber and starts the battle. I but mean, he, he's we, really going after Vader and hitting him really hard and then cuts off that robot hand. Yeah. And, and then he just kind of switches off again and he's like, nope, can't kill you, which is back to the Luke we know. But there's really no moment where we see growing rage in him. and. I know a lot of people would be like, well, Mark Hamill's not really that good an actor, but he is. If you heard any of his voice acting, you will know that he is a great actor. Yeah, so it's like, Mark Hamill's a better actor than that, so I give him the credit to say that if we were supposed to see growing, seething rage in Luke then because i mean he'd already done that in empire so like just a movie earlier he had done that kind of emotional gamut so like don't be like well he's become a better actor over the year no he was already a good actor then okay so don't come at me with that either i'm kind of thinking that this was a ploy you know i'm kind of thinking that the emperor was BSing. Like I'm I'm thinking that he was just trying to be like, Yeah, totally. I can feel rage. Yeah. The, 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 join me. Come on. And hoping that Vader would do the rest. 
possibly <laughs> convincing. But but also this could also play into that last Jedi moment. People say, "Oh, Luke would never have that moment of weakness." I think that th- that might be why Luke takes it so hard in in the last Jedi is that he might be like, "I was the dude who faced down his own murderous father and didn't break, but I almost killed a child. Like, I mean, that would make me snap. Anyway, the the end of that being that, you know, when Vader makes his choice, there is the theory that, and it, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek theory, of course, but there is the theory that, is that even Vader turning back to the light side or is it just the most drama queen moment Anakin could have as his final act (laughs) I mean I've always saw it as Vader took the opportunity to get rid of Palpatine so he could be in charge it's just that he got electrocuted and his systems were fried yeah I mean I kind of like the drama queen angle myself but it you want would... to talk about drama queen because I want we because this is something that 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 this is something that the Disney era has kind of brought back and even the prequel era kind of accentuated is that this is one of the first few times we see Anakin sass because we just saw an entire movie in 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 Empire of Vader choking out anyone who mightily disagrees with him. And in the beginning of this movie, he's saying, the Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. And that is like the first moment of Vader sass. Yeah, we get it again in Rogue One, don't choke on your aspirations. But we really get it in the two prequels and even the Clone Wars series with Anakin. He's just like, you want to talk drama queen, he's also like this sass queen. Yeah, and it's, that's what I like better there is the the bit where people talk about you know the 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 moment at the end of rogue one being the vader we've always kind of known he could be but now we're finally seeing him at full strength like the the darth vader everybody really feared you know him just wandering through the corridors flinging dudes around and you know in that final moment of you know his killing the the emperor yeah it doesn't go well for him in the end i don't know it's it seems a little weak sauce as a redemption and it always has to me mm. yes he's it not just comes out killing of, it, his son mm-hmm. But there is no real. Yeah, you're right. You were about to say it comes out of nowhere, weren't you? Yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. I mean, yes, we get the no again. That is a special edition edition. But it's like. Even with taking the special edition stuff out. When I when I first watched it, it's like he he took his shot. He saw that the emperor's back was turned and he took his shot. A lot, and I later on in some of the video games and even some of the books has discussed the idea that Vader was just biding his time. 
that he was waiting for the right opportunity to take out Palpatine so he could rule. And in this moment, my feeling was, yes, he was saving his son, but at the same time, it was like, this is my only opportunity I can I have to take out the Emperor. And in later things that Lucas would write, he cements the idea that the only way to get anywhere as a Sith is to murder your master. Yeah. Which always begs the question to me of why would any Sith ever take on an apprentice? You're just trying to figure out, hmm, who do I want to be the person that eventually kills me? I mean, and that's why Palpatine always conveniently makes sure his apprentices are in position where they would die. And that's why he... But the thing is, is that he, he doesn't goad Luke into killing Vader in this scene. He goads Luke into trying to kill him. Yes, take the lightsaber. Strike me down. And then something that would mine. also get brought back in uh, Rise of Skywalker. Kill me and I will take your... And you will become the new Empress. Yeah. Palpatine just had a death wish, Majorly. I'm old, let me die. <laughs> well, honestly, if you looked like one of the California raisins in a cape, wouldn't you want to be like But it's like... It's weird is that if you want to go with the books, Palpatine always had a backup plan to extend his life, and but he always wanted someone to kill him. I, you know what? I, I don't know. It's it's always been a weird scene to me, and it's one of the things in the film that was not as well written as I would have liked. But yeah, Vader throws Palpatine down the chute, and he's dead, and then... Somehow Palpatine returned. The, the thing is, is that there then needs to be the moment where Luke drags Vader to an escape vehicle in order to finish his I have to save you. And then Anakin, you know, with the mask off and everything, says, you already have. You have saved my soul. I guess the Force is very forgiving because you can spend like, what, 19 years or whatever <laughs> just being an absolute murderous bastard. But you save one kid, all is forgiven. I mean, it's uh, that's kind of a thing we see in, in kind of real life. You have these cold-blooded murderers on death row, and then they repent their sins, and, oh, your, your soul is saved. So, uh -huh. um, So, yeah, and we've talked about, you know, we've mentioned it at the, at the beginning, the finale part where we, we lose Yubnub. And because, you know, Lucas wants to play with his toys, we get the extended ending of seeing all of the planets from the prequel trilogy. And freaking Jar Jar survives all of this. Because you hear straight up when we get to Naboo, we saw free! I mean, is, is it explicitly Jar Jar or is it just a Gungan? It's the same actor. You're, you, you put that together. But, you know, of course Jar Jar would survive all of this. Uh, but it's like, like I don't know. I, I get what Lucas was trying to do in that ending to show that it wasn't just a celebration on, on Endor. It was a celebration 
all over the universe. You know, I, I, I get it. I get why he wanted to do it, but it felt like it was just dragging this ending along where it didn't need to be dragged. And the music just made it more solemn versus what we got with Yub Nub. And that was always my, my, not my favorite part of the movie, but that was always kind of my reward at the end of the movie. It's like you get to dance around to that song at the end of the movie. Yeah. And I remember being in theater and kind of everybody around me being like, all right, here we go. You ready to sing the song? Yeah. No. What? You know, it's like, I mean, everybody, because I was seeing it with friends and stuff, and we were all like, all right, here we go. Everybody remember the words? And what? You know. Okay, but now they're going to start the, they're going to start, the song should definitely be playing right now. And Hayden Christensen. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we were very confused. Like I said, I get why Lucas wanted to change it, because this was his... He wanted to better connect it to his prequel trilogy. I get that. But it takes so much away from that scene. And I'm mad now that there's, like, an entire generation that doesn't even know that song. And the original versions aren't even on Disney+. Plus. There is no way to legally acquire these original versions... Yeah, if it was an option, like, do you want to watch the original theatrical cut or do you want to watch, you know, then, okay, you get your choice. It's fine. I'm all for choice. But, that you know, to have them not exist. Lucas had his choice. He can, you know, if he wanted to tamper with the movies, fine, his choice. But at least give us the choice. Whether we want to watch those original versions or the special editions. And yeah. then he and went honestly, back. Honestly, it's not Lucas's choice anymore. It's now Disney's choice, and Disney loves money. I've always heard that there was some sort of deal when 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 Disney bought Lucasfilm about that. That but that was always one of the rumors, but it's never been When has Disney ever stuck to a deal? Uh yeah, that's true. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. When has Disney ever stuck to a deal if the other option is this will make us more money? That's true. And, I mean, I hate to say it, not that I'm suggesting Disney should break a deal, but, you know, Disney, there's money to be made. There is. I mean, how many... I will will pay you for... There a, are a I mean, good 4K remaster of those original theatrical. I guns. mean, there's how many fan groups that are making their own despecialized editions of the film to have the highest quality version possible while still making it as close to the original theatrical cut as possible. There are many groups that do that. If Disney themselves could get that original theatrical cut in the highest quality possible and release it for consumption people will buy it and i'm gonna say the 4k remasters of this even though it's a special edition gorgeous this thing looks gorgeous 
as much as much as I hate all the special edition nonsense that's added in, not all of it. It's nice to have the extended um, bit of what kind of happens to like when Ula falls into the pit. There is a, a little bit of extended of what happens to her after the drop. Oh, that was all new filming. They brought her back. Yeah, that. yeah. No, I mean, that was cool. And it did not take away from the horror of the scene. Mm-hmm. In fact, it added a little bit to it. So not everything in the special edition is awful. But it would be nice to, to have the option to to see it again in a, a beautiful, clean restore, you know? Uh, and I, I wish I had that. Um, since I, I think we're getting close to wrapping up here, there, yeah. there is one thing though that we have to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we go, which is that um, this scene contains the most horrific and terrifying line in all of Star Wars. I know. Somehow, I think I've always known. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that that's some, the most horrific line in all of Star Wars ever. So Leia, Leia somehow always knew that Luke was her brother, and to be fair, the only time she's ever kissed him was either a kiss on the cheek, kiss for luck, or to purposely make Han jealous. Okay, but that makes it worse. You see how that's not better, right? She specifically gave her shoved her tongue down her her brother's mouth for the purpose of making her boyfriend jealous. I mean, she said, I would rather kiss a Wookiee. The Wookiee was there. Yeah, it's true. Like, that was an option, Leia. You could have gone for the Wookiee. And... And imagine it, yeah, but where Luke asks Leia, do you remember our mother? And he says, I remember her being sad. And, and like, how? How? You were five minutes old when she died. I mean, she could have remembered a really sad, dying postpartum woman. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it'd be a really neat trick, but maybe that's what the Force does for you. We do I remember know- a very sterile birthing room and droids and a very, very sad woman laying on a birthing table. Uh-huh. With a crushed throat. I don't know. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, no, I, I still think the most horrific line in all Star Wars was I, I, I think I've always known. Um... It, but the, I think one of the funniest lines in all of Star Wars is is uh, is Han saying that he'll, you know, when Luke comes back, I'll I'll get out of your, your way, and Carrie, uh, Carrie, and uh, Leia saying, "No, it's not like that. He's my brother." And the unspoken, "And you're an idiot." <laughs> <laughs> I but- mean, from a Throughout this movie, throughout that point, is that he sees Han, uh, he, Han sees Leia and Luke talking about something. And Leia says, I can't tell you what we're talking about right now. 
you know, like it's just it's this big secret, and Han is confused. Like, oh, you 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 can tell Luke, but you can't tell me. Oh, you 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 must love him. If you love him, I will step aside. I will not. I will not. And you know, it's Han trying to be a gentleman. It's like you you know, if you and you want to be with Luke. I won't stand in the way. Go ahead, be with Luke, be happy. It's a growing moment for Han, and it's probably the most mature Han's ever been in the series so far. And then Leia says, no, he's my brother. Wait, you made out with your brother? <laughs> That's yeah, the, the other half of the conversation we didn't see on camera. <laughs> yeah, although there is a look that he gives her as he's processing that information that I, I think is probably that that realization hitting? Uh, I don't think there's anything else we can talk about here. So let's wrap it up. Kiki, does Return of the Jedi have the magic? I do believe the Force is strong with this one, yes. I will agree. For all the changes, for all the problems, for everything that you could complain about this movie, this is still the great culmination of the original Star Wars trilogy. You cannot have the other two without this one. It's yeah. still good. It's still good. You know, it's... It's standal- an older code, but it checks out. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's it for all we can say about that. Let's move on to next week. As this episode is being released, we are days away from... Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, finally, after what seems like two years delayed of this movie. <laughs> finally, we're finally seeing this movie. So so next week, we are going back to the previous Doctor Strange movie, the first appearance of Doctor Strange in the MCU, to see where we started with this whole Multiverse of Madness thing. And uh, don't worry, we uh, we will not be discussing the new film, so you can come back next week and be sure that we will stick to the original film only. We will not spoil anything for you. If because you... we're recording it before the new one comes out. Yeah, we, 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 will, we will not have seen the film either. We will not be able to, to spoil it for you uh, anyway, even if we wanted to. So come back for our non-spoiler... <laughs> Uh, look at the the original uh, Doctor Strange film. So yeah, that's uh. So come back for that. We will talk to you all next time. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.